0: I almost feel like we should have a moment of silence for our brothers and sisters out on the East Coast who are shoveling their way to church this morning. We'll receive this blessing as we get started. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I want to tell a quick story here as we get started. Um, on December 11th of 2005, I was doing devotions with this girl right there. She's about half the size that she is now. Um, And we were doing a bedtime devotion from this book. It was December 11th, 2005. And each of these little devotions um, has a little Bible verse down there. And this particular day, when I read this particular verse, I knew it was something that God was trying to say. And the verse says this, Be still, be patient, and wait for the Lord to act. It's a paraphrase of Psalm 37.7. It was very influential in this church because at the time I was a pastor at another church and I knew God was preparing us for a change, but I didn't know what that was going to be. And when God spoke through that passage, I realized God's going to be leading here and I need to not make something happen. We need to follow God's lead. And wow, the doors that he opened, door after door after door after door blew us away as a family. And what scared us as a husband and wife were the door after door after door after door seemed to be opening towards starting a new church. And we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to plant a church. you kidding me. In fact, when the covenant said, all right, we're giving you the green light to plant a church, we said, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. But that that's, seemed to be where God was leading. So as we're walking down this path for about a month, about a month, I started saying, okay, God, Well, I didn't say, okay, God, yet. That's coming later. I I, I started asking myself, what would we call this church if we were to start a new church? Because you can pick any name, any name. And so I didn't want something that was too generic, like we could be a community center or we could be a retirement community or whatever, you know, or a church. I didn't want something too generic. I didn't want something too trendy. I didn't want something too churchy. And so for about a month, I tried thinking, what in the world would we call this new church if we did this? And then I had the crazy idea. Maybe I should ask God. (laughs) Maybe let's try that. So, So I actually had a little bit of buckiness when I said it, but I'm like, okay, God, if you want us to start a new church, what would you call it? And right then, on my own for a month, nothing. Right then when I asked God, it was Emmanuel Covenant Church. And that was a milestone. That was a turning point for me because I could get behind a church like that. Emmanuel, which means God with us. I could get behind a church that was really sincerely, authentically trying to say, let's experience God and his transforming power together. And then that name Emmanuel connects us with a children's home in Juarez. I can get behind being part of a church that cares for widow and orphans. That name that God gave us, it's just part of our story. This church was God's idea. And many have heard story after story after story of these open doors and how God, Let us. Now, I want to point something out about this name, Emmanuel. Um, Take a look at this logo on the screen. This logo was designed, I I didn't give them a lot of insight because we didn't know what this church was going to be about, right? I just gave them the name and they designed some logos. What name is capitalized and in larger font? Emmanuel. I don't even think it was a Christian who made this, but God was working through him, wasn't he? Because that's the name we want to emphasize. Our full name is Emmanuel Covenant Church. The name we want to emphasize above all of the names is Emmanuel. this name God gave us. And if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, what this series is, teaching series that we're in right now is about, how do we honor this name? How do we honor this name? How do we consciously honor this name that God gave our church? That's what this is about. Now, this covenant denomination, I don't want to downplay that because the covenant denomination we're part of is a great group of folks. In fact, um, one of the things we've been doing as we've been exploring how do we really honor this name God gave us is we've been looking at this insert in your bulletin. This is something the covenant put together, and not just haphazardly, a lot of research, a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, a lot of experience went into this. They've identified 10 markers, 10 characteristics of a healthy, God-honoring church, and we have a lot of high achievers in here today. And it's great because we're going to take on three, three. We're not taking on one of these characteristics today. We're not taking two. We're going through three. So I've got to talk really, really fast or there will be crying kids in the nursery. So here we go. Three characteristics, the ones we're going to take on today, three characteristics of a God-honoring church. If we want to honor the name God gave us, here are three ways we do that together. We do it through compelling Christian community. We do it through sacrificial, generous living and giving. And we do it through heartfelt worship. And there's a place to write all those down in your notes. Now, one of the reasons the covenant arrived at these is because these are characteristics of Jesus, aren't they? Aren't all three of these characteristic of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, the community that Jesus gathered around him? They went on to change the world. There had never been a community like that. And when it comes to sacrifice and generosity, you don't have to be a Christian to recognize that Jesus is the iconic figure for generous living, sacrificial giving. And there's no one in the history of the world that was more passionate about ascribing worth to God the Father than His Son, Jesus Christ. So if our church is going to exhibit the characteristics of a healthy, God-honoring church, these are certainly characteristics that we want to be characteristic of us. So here we go. First one, compelling Christian community. Let's dig into this one a little bit. Let's look at the text that the covenant gave us. It's one that we've been through before, Several times as a congregation, let's take a look at it again. It's Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. want to let you know that too. We keep a stack at each of the entrance slash exits. Here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it's talking about the early church. The early fellowship of believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to anyone who had need. And day by day, attending to the temple to, or attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those being saved. Now, when outsiders looked in on this new community, when outsiders looked in, they saw something that was very different than the world around them. The people that they saw were, were not for Christ, would have been loosely affiliated at best. Many would have remained strangers. Many would have remained enemies but God brought them together through Jesus Christ, and they became like a closely knit family. When those on the outside looked in, what they saw resembled a closely knit family. Now, along those lines, I want to let you know, if you're looking for opportunities to get better connected, the brochure just came out. There's 20 or more opportunities here. If you'd like to find ways to get connected outside of Sunday mornings, there's some great ones here. The reason I'm highlighting this is not just to say hey, here's an invitation, but also to say thank you to the 20 or so of you who are today going to be meeting, the ones who are going to be leading these groups. Thank you, thank you, thank you. They're getting together today to do some planning and talking, and we, we can't do what God's asked us to do if it weren't for people like you. So I don't know who all you are, but thank you for, for doing that. They're meeting today. Doing life together outside of Sunday morning, it is such a good and God-honoring thing, and we see that in this passage that we just read. But here's what jumped out at me this week. There was something else that jumped out at me as I reflected on this passage. So let's put verse 42 back up on the screens and take a look at this. I'll show you what jumped out at me. Verse 242 said, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And what jumped out at me is these are the practices that we try to practice every time we get together, aren't they? Today, 2,000 years later, these are the things we try to do when we get together on the Lord's Day together. We try to do these very things. The early church, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're literally doing that today. We're we're looking at the teaching, a teaching that comes from the apostle John. We're looking at a teaching today that comes from the apostle Paul. The very next series that we're going to do in Lent, we're going to go through the book of Mark which we believe, a lot of scholars believe anyway, came from the teachings of the Apostle Peter. This is literally something we do. Every time we get together on the Lord's Day, we open up the scriptures and we teach from them. That was something the early church did. The early church also devoted themselves to intentional fellowship, and that fellowship often included the breaking of bread. And I was thinking, you know, we are intentional about food around here when we gather on the Lord's Day. We're intentional, and they certainly were back in the day. Back in the day, feeding the hungry was one of the marks of God's people. Hospitality was a value that you see emphasized throughout the Scriptures. In the early church, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they also observed the sacrament that we call the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or Holy Communion. And again, 2,000 years later, we're intentional about these things. We encourage people to bring food for the food shelf. There's bins right at the other entrance. And we encourage, you. I mean, how awesome would it be to see those things overflowing? I put my jar of peanut butter in there today, and there was room for more. So remember, if you can, to try to bring things. Um, feeding the hungry is part of what we do. Hospitality, we try really hard at that. The, the coffee and the, the donuts, I mean, you guys know this. That's not like a concession stand, right? That's not why we do it. Oh, let me get my snack before the show. We know that's not what we do, right? This is about helping people who are our guests feel welcome. And one of my favorite parts of Sunday morning is watching people connect. I love that. I love seeing all the people connecting around food and around coffee. That's part of what we do, right? We fellowship and offer hospitality. And then certainly, as was true for the early church, we regularly gather around the Lord's table for the sacrament of Holy Communion. We're trying to live out Acts 2.42. We devote ourselves to the teachings of the apostles, the apostles, And the prophets, we're intentional about our fellowship. And the Bible, it's interesting there it says, the prayers, the prayers. We come together and we pray with one another and for one another as we gather on the Lord's day. Now, what also jumped out at me, probably even more than what I just said here, and I've read this passage hundreds of times, this week it was the word devotion that leapt off the page. They were devoted to these things. The early church was devoted to these things. And the reason I'm stressing that word devotion and not saying, well, the Greek word means this and this and this and this, is because if you ever um, take a look at different English translations of the Bible, they're translating another language. The Bible is not originally written in English. Does anyone know the book of Acts? um, What was the original language for that one it was? Greek, right? So if you ever compare English translations, you'll notice that a lot of times they don't say exactly the same words. That's because anytime you translate a language, there's rarely a direct translation word for word for word. You have to do the best you can to take this language and make it match with that language. But let me show you Acts 2.42 from different English translations. Take a look at this. Acts 2.42 in the ESV, the NIV, the NLT, which all tend to be very different in many different passages, It says, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. All the believers devoted themselves. The early church, under the leadership of disciples who were discipled by Jesus, they were devoted to these things we've been talking about, which then begs a question, how devoted are we? They were devoted to protecting family time as a church family. How devoted are we to protecting church family time as a church family? Now, we're turning a corner right now. If you look in your notes, there's a section that we had, the corporate stuff, right? We went through all three of those. Now let's go through those as individuals. Let's talk about these individuals because we can't do those things together if we don't as individuals do these things, right? just makes sense, doesn't it? So let's look at this. Here's one mark of a God-honoring life related to one mark of us as a church, and that is this. One mark of a God-honoring life is devotion to gathering with your church family for scriptural teaching, intentional fellowship, and corporate prayer. Now, should we be engaged throughout the week? Yes, with each other. And should we also be committed and devoted to our time together as a church family on the Lord's Day? Yeah. And one of the reasons I think God did that, besides for our own good, is this leads to that idea of a compelling community, doesn't it? As people look and they go, these people are devoted to this. Why? Why do they gather every seventh day when there's so many other things that we could be out doing? Why do we do that? Why do we meet during the week and why do we come together? Well, what we want to do right now is is give an opportunity to respond to that. Today's going to be a little bit different. Normally, we either front load or back load music and that's very intentional why we normally do that. But today, it's going to be very intentional because we want to take these pieces and then give you a chance to respond through a song. And this song is very intentional as all our songs are. Um, This song is about Jesus and his life. And really think deep on these songs and not just think about them, but also proclaim them because they're talking about how beautiful his life was. But then there's this beautiful intertwining of what if? What if we really did that together too? So let's respond to this idea of compelling Christian community through this song. As you're able, would you stand? And this is so important. I'm a father of two daughters, And I'm really a youth director who got called into being a pastor at heart. And whether it's my daughters or whether it's the kids in our kids' ministry, whether it's the teens in our teen ministry, there will come a day, if it hasn't come already, where they are going to hear person after person after person smear the reputation of the Bride of Christ. And they are going to hear all about the Crusades. And they're going to hear all about the Salem Witch Trials. And they're going to open up their papers and look at their news articles, and they're going to see story after story of abusive priests and pastors. And they're going to hear all about scandals and hypocrisy and selfishness and greed and all kinds of unchrist like atrocities that are committed in Jesus' name by people who aren't even following the example or the teachings of Jesus Christ. And they're going to be bombarded with that. And those people are going to look at our kids, our teens, and they're going to say, that's Christianity, that's Christianity. But what if? What if their reference point wasn't that? What if their reference point was what we just sang? What if their reference point was something beautiful? And what if each and every one of those kids who grew up in this church that bears the name Emmanuel, what if each one of those kids, each one of those teens could go, Whoa, 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 that's not the church of Jesus Christ that you're describing. Because I personally had a very different experience than that. I grew up surrounded by these people who were broken and had their stuff, because we all have our stuff. But we came together, and we were devoted to God, and we were devoted to one another. And we saw lives changing. And we saw broken people being made whole. And we saw people coming around each other. And we saw people calling stuff out in a healthy way of others and supporting and encouraging We saw something very, very different. What if their reference point was something beautiful? Something beautiful. You know, there's a reason why when we come up here and we have a baptism or a dedication, one of the commitments we make is to be nice to them, those kids, in the what? Donut line. That's on purpose because we want to welcome these young people into a family the way God welcomed us. Don't we? Don't we? That's what we want. That's why this matters. So what if when the accuser and his puppets brought their accusations against the bride of Christ, what if Emmanuel's kids, what if Emmanuel's teens could say, whoa, what you're describing is someone who's not following the example or teachings of Jesus? That's not the people I know. They weren't perfect, and they were the first to admit it, but they were really devoted to God, into one another. What if their reference point was a people who were devoted, who were united by rather than divided by Scripture? A people who broke bread together and shared their lives together and prayed for and prayed with one another. How beautiful would that be? So I ask you, are you with me in this? All right. Four of us. Well, there, <laughs> We got a lot of work to do because, as four of us, we're four lamps on a lampstand. Together, all of us, that's a city on a hill, isn't it? So I ask you, are you with me in this? With me. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Number two, another mark of a God honoring life is God first living and giving. And again, We can't do this as a we unless we do this as individuals. Let's take a look at the verse that they reference there, for God first living and giving, Romans 12. Let's look at verse 1 and zero in on that. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, and then what's the word? Therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice one that is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The reason I point out the word therefore is a year ago, about a year ago right now, we walked through the book of Romans together, and we came to this therefore. And this therefore is so beautiful because this therefore comes after 11 chapters of Paul making an outstanding case like a lawyer that says God's grace is so amazing. God's grace is so amazing. Our faith is not about get all these boxes checked and God just might grant you access into heaven. The gospel, the therefore, the good news is he saw how messed up we are and he sent his son to die for us, to live the life we couldn't live, to be the example that we needed so that his life could flow through our veins. That's what, the therefore is about. In the book of Romans, Paul spends 11 chapters making the point that precisely because none of us are good enough, in fact, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us and anything that we can do is a response to that grace which begs the question. When you respond to God's grace, do you respond with your first and your best or does he get your leftovers? I want to take you to a very convicting place of the Scripture. Let's look at a very specific. This is the book of Malachi, chapter 1, starting with verse 6. And this is a a section that's talking about, and this is God speaking here, talking about sacrifices that are holy and acceptable in his eyes. God says this, A son honors his father, a servant honors his master. Okay, if I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, whoa, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. You say, hey, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Hey, present those to your governor. Will he accept you, show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? For from the rising of the sun till its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In reference to your sacrifice, you say, oh, what a weariness this is. God, you ask so much. What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick. This is your offering. So I accept that from your hand, says the Lord. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. Now before you dismiss and go, oh, that's Old Testament. Old Testament altars... The cross of Jesus Christ, Holy Communion, it's all related. The Old Testament, priesthood and sacrifices. The New Testament, priesthood and sacrifice of Christ. The Apostle Paul's call to be a living sacrifice, it's all connected, all of it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that transforms our bodies into temples and transforms each of us into priests. we're called upon to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, one that is, New Testament, holy, holy and acceptable to God. And when we hear the gospel, when we hear 11 chapters that come before the therefore, and we hear of God's amazing grace, it compels us, doesn't it, to say, God, in light of everything, How can I hold back? How can I hold back? I believe it was Martin Luther who warned us that living sacrifices have a tendency to crawl off the altar. Isn't that true? I can relate to that. There's been so many times I'm like, okay, God, this is it. I offer you everything. And then a year later or a month later or a year later or an hour later or 10 minutes later or 30 seconds later, I start to crawl off that altar. We all do, right? We all do. So we want to give an opportunity right here, right now. This is one of the things we do when we come together. We proclaim the gospel, and we ask for that response. This is an opportunity. We're going to sing a song called White Flag. And a lot of times we sing this at the end. We're going to sing it, We're going to sing it right now. You know, so we can respond to this, this idea of saying, God, I want to respond to you on that holy ground in Jerusalem, on that Roman cross. You made a way for peace. You laid down your life. You took my rightful place. So right here, right now, I surrender all to you. And as we sing that, I want to encourage you to consider the legacy that we leave if we do and how different this community will look from the rest of our culture because have you ever seen the national debt clock? Have you seen that thing? You know what I'm talking about? Who's ringing that up? We are. We're a culture that is so used. To, yeah, I got named men from down the hall. We, we are so used. This culture, it's, it's about us. We are breathtakingly selfish. Companies, where the CEOs and stuff do things. Families, where they're breathtakingly selfish. What if this was a body? that was breathtakingly selfless, just as Jesus was? What if this was a group that said, God, we surrender all to you. We will go wherever you ask. We'll do whatever you ask in light of what you've already done for us. Let's do that through this song. One more, passionate praise. We've talked about devotion to our church family. We talked about God first living and giving. Let's look briefly at passionate praise. Now, for the record, I want to say that this one's not going to look the same for everyone, is it? Because God has wired every one of us different. Uh, I, I'll never forget uh, the time after a service where a, um, a guy came up from our congregation. He was here at the first service. He remembers it too. He came up and he goes, Pastor, I want to let you know, I said amen three times today in my head. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. And, and hasn't God wired us differently? He has. And some of that's conditioning. But some of it's also the way he wired us. And it, 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 this is not about who's got their hand the highest or who bows the lowest. It's not about that. It's about sincerity. It's about passion that comes from within, however that looks for without. It's about not stuffing it. It's about not filtering it. It's about being free, free to be a passionate worshiper of Jesus Christ. Let me sh- Amen, thank you. Let me show you something here. Um, this is from the Apostle John. So here's a teaching from the Apostle John. But guess what? This is a quote from Jesus. Let's look at this, John 4, 23. It's one of the passages that the covenant says. Take a look at this one if you're going to talk about worship. Jesus says, the hour is coming. It's now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Not trying to pretend to be something you're not. Not holding back spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. The Father's looking for people like that, seeking them. And in our culture, we're going to have to remind ourselves constantly to work really hard at this. Because in our culture, we're so used to just doing our own thing and making it all about us. We go into the restaurant, we order a number six, and we want it this way and this way and this way and this way. And we want the same often with our music. And we tune out if the tune that the band's playing is not our tune. We are very intentional about the songs that we pick. Here, very intentional, and we're doing the best we can to be faithful to what the scriptures say. Let me show you something. This is the covenant picked, Psalm 138. This is beautiful. Let's look at Psalm 138, and let's not work just at verse 1, let's go through it. Here's what it says: I will give you th- thanks, O Lord, with what? My whole heart, before the little G gods, I will sing your praise. If we believe that God is who we say he is, shouldn't he be worthy of our highest praise? absolutely. And when I became a conscious follower of Jesus Christ in high school, um, I felt like I was supposed to do something when I would write out things, essays and stuff. I felt like I was supposed to, whenever I got to a he that referred to God or Jesus, I felt like I was supposed to capitalize that. I felt like that was just something I was supposed to do. I hadn't had anybody tell me to do that. I just felt like I was supposed to do that. Well, when I was a high school student, I, I wanted to always be at the top. I wanted to be at the top of my class or near the top of my class. And my Teachers in my public school didn't like that I did that when I would write about God and I would do the caps. And I tried not to be, you know, disrespectful, but I made it clear, fail me if you will. I will not treat the name of God like any other name. And it was surprising. When I went to seminary, there were a lot of professors that didn't like that. Same thing. It's like, all right, fail me if you will because I'm not, whatever, fit in your category. I will not treat the name of Jesus like any other name. Now, I'm not telling you have to do that, but I had a personal conviction on that. But what I will ask is when you sing, would you consider not singing to anyone else like you sing to God? Would you consider that? Would you consider certain words and phrases that you won't sing to anyone else, only to God? Will you consider if there's certain actions that you will reserve for God alone and not for some musician? Would you consider giving God your highest passion and praise? because when you look at the culture, it's the opposite, right? You go to the concert, woo There's that musician that I think is just awesome, but they're just a person singing songs, but I'm gonna jump around and scream and everything like this. <laughs> I raise my white flag, I surrender all to you. At least the next two minutes, you. You know, w- what if, what if whatever passion looks like for you, what if our highest praise, our highest praise was reserved for God alone. What if? Next, verse 2 I, laid, I, I bow down before your holy temple. I give thanks to your name, your steadfast love, your faithfulness. You, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Again, Jill Joe is so intentional about the songs that she chooses. And you're going to notice that there are times she, she chooses songs of great thanks. Like it says here in the scripture, there, there's times where it, we sing of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Listen, you'll hear those songs and other songs that straight up just exalt God above all things. And that's not all. Verse 3, on the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Nobody on the planet, I don't know if I've ever said this exactly like this, nobody on the planet's done a better job, Jill, than you of helping me understand cry out songs. We need to have songs that are cry-out songs, whatever you want to call them. Songs where when we come as broken people together, we can cry out to the Lord. And we can just come as we are with our brokenness and our hurts and our unanswered prayers, and we can do that together. And you'll notice each time we gather, there's at least a song most weeks or more where people have an opportunity to do that, to cry out to God, you know, with the hope and prayer that he will answer verse 4 through 6 all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks o lord and for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the lord for great is the glory of the lord and though the lord is high he regards the lowly but the haughty he knows from afar you're going to notice these themes too right There's probably might even be songs coming to mind right now that that we sing here that do these very things. Songs that speak of God's greatness and his great love for us and songs with themes of God's fame and his justice. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. You'll notice songs with these themes too. Songs of God's guidance and protection and deliverance. Verse 8, the final verse. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. We have a lot of songs with these themes too, songs of hope, songs of our destiny in Christ, songs where we recall and invoke God's great covenants and his promises to his people. And our goal when we put together songs, selections, do we try to pick songs that are engaging that we can sing along with? Absolutely. Do we try to put them in a register that most of us can hit? Absolutely. But more than anything, we're trying to do all of these things that we see in the scripture so that we can come holistically to God. We're we're doing the best we can. What if every worshiper took advantage of these songs? And I want to show you why this is especially important. Let's take a look at this. Let's circle back to Acts 2.46 for just a second. Take a look at what it says here in the scriptures. It says of the early church, the people who were discipled by Jesus himself, uh, that they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They were breaking bread in their homes and they attended what together? The temple. The temple, which was the most visible place, the most visible place in all of Jerusalem. And, And... I started to think about these things. When our our church was still an imaginary church back in the day, and people would ask me, some of you asked me, so where are you going to meet? My answer was, I don't know. I don't know. Somewhere, somewhere. But one of the things I thought I heard the spirit whisper was the, the phrase temple courts. And some of you know that too, temple courts, before we had a location. Didn't know what that meant. It kind of fell off my radar. And then Ash Wednesday came last year. And we were in the community room, and our door was open on a Wednesday evening, and people were passing by. And the worship band was rehearsing and practicing these beautiful Ash Wednesday songs. And there was our cross, and there was this room all set. And head after head was poking in, going, What's going on in here? And it hit me Temple courts. Temple courts. We worship each and every Sunday in temple courts. I vote in the room where our kids have kids' church. Our kids learn to swim in the pool right here. This is the community center of this area. So let's honor God with this last song right here in the temple courts. And what I want to ask you to do is not to try to say what should it look like just go after God with all your heart and don't have, let it come out. The, the last thing you want to do if you're, if you're trying to witness is to pretend to be something you're not. So let that passion just come from a very, very real place. Go after that audience of one with all your heart. And what I want to do today, this just hit me too this morning. I ended up changing some things because this morning it hit me. If we were, if I was designing this room, if most of us were designing this room, this is the last place you would want for your front because you have to walk in, right, to all these faces. You'd want the, the front there. If you have the windows, maybe the front. You wouldn't put the front here. But what happens if we open those doors? What do people see? They see our faces. So for this last song, as we sing, holy, 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 don't do it for them, do it for God. But let's let the community center, the temple courts, see passionate worshipers passionately worshiping their God. Amen? Let's do it. You can remain standing here as we close. I want to thank the Crenshaw kids for giving us a great illustration. While we were singing, holy, 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 and opening up these doors, in comes little Taylor. And she just starts kind of wandering and checking things out a little bit. How awesome is that? How awesome is it that there are people who wander in and check things out a little bit and get to know a little bit more? And not only that, then you know who followed after her? Her brother. You know, And so I'm thinking, wait a minute, Andrew finds Jesus. He goes and invites who? His brother, a guy named Peter, who was a little influential in the church. So thank you, Crenshaw Kids, for giving us this great example. Let's pray. Lord, would you be so gracious unto us as to allow us to increasingly honor your name that others may wander in and get to know us and then in the process get to know you and who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week.